When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everyone. Your host, Earl Breon here. Look, first and foremost, I've got to thank my friends over at Interview Valet for another fantastic guest. Tom Schwab and his crew are just amazing to work with. And um, Michelle Rhinus is just another guest that I know that you all are going to love. She's got a really long bio. I couldn't do justice by trying to read it all or would be here all day. Uh, but I encourage you to check her out uh, and read her book, From Bad to Badass Leader. And that's what we're going to be discussing in this podcast. We're going to talk about her journey from a bad to a badass leader and the 12 lessons she learned along the way to help her get there. What I love about this conversation is Michelle is authentic and candid and uh, provides very easy, executable leadership lessons as part of her 12 lessons in this book. With that, I'm not going to say much more about this. Uh, The episode is going to speak for itself, and I just know you're going to love it. So here is my interview with the badass leader, Michelle Rhinus. All right, listeners, well, welcome to this episode of the Burden of Command podcast. I am beyond excited uh, to speak with today's guest, uh, Michelle Rhinus. Uh, Michelle, thank you for being on the show today. Thanks so much for having me, Earl. I'm excited to be here. Oh, absolutely. So um, so as I mentioned in, uh, in the bio and the pre-roll there, uh, Michelle is author of From Bad to Badass Leader. And folks, I'm going to tell you right now, if you don't know who Michelle is, uh, you need to go and look up Michelle Rhinus and we'll give you some links towards the end. Uh, but, but this, this woman like embodies bad assness. So I, I love the whole vibe. I love the, the vibe of the book. Uh, I really am looking forward to this leadership conversation. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm excited too. I'm excited to introduce it and introduce it to your listeners. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, in in um, uh, so let's go ahead and, and start you off where I start all of my guests. Uh, when you hear the phrase "burden of command," what does that mean to you? That's a great question, and I know that you've asked it um, to several guests, and I've pondered it. And the obvious answer is, you know, you have the burden of responsibility. But what it really resonates with me is more about my people, my results. And my people are my results and their lives are in my hands, be it their careers, how they engage with their families, their communities. You know, that's a burden of responsibility that I take 
you know, all the way into my DNA. And it's a passion of mine and it's a responsibility and it's an honor to be able to serve the people who serve uh, my team, my organization, or in your case, your country. Yeah, no, I, I, I love that answer. I mean, and it's, uh, you're right. I mean, and, and all, out of all the people I've asked uh, that question to, yeah, I mean, I get a little bit different, uh, a little bit of a different response, uh, but we've been able to boil it down to some uh, overarching themes from all of them. And, and that responsibility and looking out for the people, those are those are big themes. So, uh, you know, that answer fits kind of very well with some some previous guests, but I like your personal spin on it. Uh, well, yeah. and I think of it like a definition of being a badass leader is, you know, how do you embrace the burden of command in a way that serves you, serves your team, serves your organization, your communities, right? The families within the community. It really is um, a noble calling. Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely it is. It's not for the faint of heart, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, um, you know, Let's let's start there, right? Before we dive into the twelve leadership lessons that you identify in your book, um, how did you get to be a badass leader? Well, I actually started out from being a bad leader and recognizing that that doesn't work so well. And it wasn't. I would love to say and take credit for the fact that oh, I this was a self discovery moment for me, but it actually wasn't. It was um, quite. Um, let's see, candidly served up to me by my team that um, abruptly decided to resign and, and let me know what they thought of me and where I could stick it and that I sucked as a leader. And that's a polite way of, of how they put it. And at that moment is when the realization hit that, oh my gosh, you know, I'm, I'm a bad leader. And the scary part unfortunately, Earl, for many leaders, and certainly for me, was the fact that I was completely oblivious to the fact that I was quite quite honestly an ass um, when it came to being a boss. Well, and, and as you mentioned, uh, you know, being oblivious to it, that's not that uncommon. Uh, I think there are a lot of people who are skating through life right now thinking that they have uh, have have the tiger by the tail, uh, <laughs> when in fact they do have the tiger by the tail, and they haven't figured out that it's getting ready to turn around and bite them, right? <laughs> yeah, it definitely took a big chunk out of me, that's for sure. And uh, and I consider that actually the greatest gift I've ever received professionally, because I was fortunate to get that wake up call. And a lot of managers, I won't call them leaders, go through their careers and promotion after promotion because the metrics on which their success is measured are incorrect. They're measured by, you know, quantifiable performance metrics as opposed to um, the people performance metrics. And that's where the true multiplier uh, is created. You know, um, not just being focused on metrics alone will only get you so far. But when you layer in the people competencies that are critical for badass leaders to have, it, it won't get you as far unless you have those. And so focusing on what you can do to develop yourself as a leader of people, or I call an architect of teams, um, is the accelerator, right? It's the gas pedal. It's the Ferrari when it comes to um, leadership capacity. And that's where I, you know, uh, was very passionate about building the Badass Leader brand because I get really excited about building high-performance teams, and it all comes down to people. Yeah, 
No, definitely. And, and they're so important. And especially for that reflection piece and, and kind of what you said, there being a, a good measure of who you really are. And, you know, I've shared this story on here once or twice before, but, uh, my, my wife and I, we love watching The Voice. My wife's a huge Gwen Stefani fan. <laughs> uh, I grew up in Northeast Tennessee. I'm a big country music fan. So this whole Blake Shelton, Gwen Stefani thing that's going on is kind of like uh, heaven for us because it's you know best of both <laughs> worlds. Uh, but a few seasons ago, they had Lionel Richie on The Voice. And they had this one kid on there that he was helping them coach that was kind of arrogant and cocky, right? And Lionel asked him, you know, why? He goes, well, because I'm good. And uh, Lionel's like, oh, son, he goes, there's a lesson I learned a long, long time ago. He goes, you don't get to tell the crowd how good you are. They're going to tell you how good you are. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And and my team definitely told me how good I wasn't, (laughs) for lack of a better um, explanation. But yeah, um, that arrogance is an absolute self-top, self, self-sabotaging behavior that unfortunately all too many people in leadership positions possess. You know, so I got to ask this question here is kind of a follow-up. So you, you kind of had this like mini revolt. Well, maybe not oh, mini revolt. Oh, for sure. It was a maximum revolt. Right. <laughs> um, you know, at that point in your time, you know, one of the things we talk a lot about in, in the Marines as leadership is going through these crucible moments, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that had to have been a crucible moment for you because you could have easily just said, you know what, screw it. I'm not cut out for this. I'm going to go do something else. But it sounds like you really took that feedback to heart and and made a, ter- a determination right then and there to go from being bad and an ass to being badass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I would love to take credit for the fact that it happened that quickly. But what it did was, fortunately, I lived in downtown Chicago at the time, so there was a thing called traffic. <laughs> and that traffic bought me about an hour between the time that I hung up the phone letting my boss know that I just suffered a, a massive walkout and, you know, and then his commute time to get to me to decompress and kind of regroup. Now, given the fact that I was 25 at the time, so um, young leader, first big position in leadership. Again, you know, I fell victim or fell prey to the Peter principle. I didn't have the competencies when it came to people and understanding what leadership was and what leaders do. Um, and so I ended up being promoted to my level of incompetence. I'd say gross incompetence when it came to leading. So that, that, that hour that I had to kind of gather my thoughts and think about, I'm going to be unemployed. I'm going to be homeless because my package included housing. And so, and I didn't have two nickels to rub together at 25. All I had was debt. I'd sold my car and I'd moved from Atlanta to Chicago. And I was like in my young budding years of my career. And so, you know, given that kind of gun to the head moment, it really forced me to settle in and figure out, so what, now what? And within that 60 minute time, commute time that it took for my boss to get there, I settled in to, because uh, I did go through like this, you know, all of this wave of emotion of my initial reaction was, how dare them? Oh my God, how could they do that? Right? right. So I was resistant. I acted like a victim. I wasn't open. I was angry. And then during that 60 minutes, I started kind of going into that, oh my God, like this is really bad. And then I settled down into oh my God, this is, I'm the common denominator here. 
You know, when you have one person telling you you're an ass, you may or may not be an ass. Two people, you still may not be an ass, but you might want to look in the mirror. <laughs> and then, but when you talk about a, a team of several people who have conspired and, and, and organized a walkout, um, you know, it's pretty abundantly clear that it's on the billboard. And, um, and, and, you know, and so for me, it was like uh, that reality checked in. And then by the time my boss arrived and I had to sit down and regurgitate what just happened, I'm obviously petrified. Um, it, I realized at that point that, you know, it was time for me to, you know, choke down that humble pie and, um, take ownership that this was my mess and my, my, you know, pardon the expression shit show that I had created that I needed to clean up. And, um, and I fully expected to be canned right then and there. Mm -hmm. And, um, as it turned out, the leader across the table from me, you know, asked me one of the toughest, the hardest questions that I, in my years, I can't remember ever being asked something so frightening. And it was, what would you do if you were me? (laughs) And I was like, oh my God. I mean, what could I say? Right. I would say, I'd, I'd love to say, uh, oh, I'd give me another chance, right? But for the reality, um, then the magnitude of what had just occurred and the fact that we were in a downtown Chicago market and I was dealing with the unions. And so this is a really, you don't want to mess with the unions. And, um, and so I, you know, the collateral damage was much, the, 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 uh, the wake was much messier and bigger than, um, than a lot of people realized, but it was a mess. And, so, of course, my response was, I'd fire me. And he looked at me and said, well, I'm not going to do that. And here's why. And then as a true leader, he said, this is my mess, too, that I take responsibility. I promoted you into this position and you didn't have the support and that's on me. And, you know, I mean, I was I went from being this amazing sales performer um, extremely passionate, always very results and performance oriented, very customer focused, extremely co- competitive and great at putting numbers on the board. And, um, and then ended up earning this tremendous opportunity to move from the Atlanta market to the Chicago market. And boom, suddenly you're awarded a GM position and given all these lives you're now responsible for. And I just made a mess of it. And I made a mess of it in a very short period of time. It was within the first year of my, um, promotion. And so, um, I was given a second chance and I'll tell you what, you want to talk about loyalty and commitment to not screwing it up a second time around. I became maniacal about figuring out every single treasure trove of information I could about what is this leadership thing and so that I don't screw it up again. And then I had to work really hard to earn the trust of the unions because they're not lining up at the door ready to send me new people, right? right? They're they're doing everything they can do to get me out, outed from my position for good reason. And so I had a lot of bridge rebuilding, if you will, um, to focus on in order to, um, you know, uh, clean up uh, the damage that I had caused in, in human capital. Yeah. Well, oh, you said so much there. And, and, and one of the things I loved was your, your leader's response. You know, when, uh, when we're doing our training, I flat out tell people, I say, this may be one of the most controversial things that I say during this entire training, but I will stand by it and we can talk about it all day long because everybody likes to try to prove it wrong. But I say, teams succeed, leaders fail. Somebody Mm -hmm. on your team fails the way you did. It's just as much your fault 
as it is theirs because of everything this individual said to you. You know, they, they promoted you beyond uh, your competencies. It doesn't sound, maybe you just haven't mentioned it, but it doesn't sound like there was a a good, effective leadership development program to prepare you for that position. And they seemed to get that and kind of internalize some of that and take their fair share of that blame as well and give you that opportunity to grow, right? Yeah, a fa- fantastic um, company. And they didn't equip me with the, the leadership resources at the time. But then again, you know, I'm not a I'm not a spring chicken, right? So this is the 1990s. Now, in the 1990s, in the downtown Chicago market, it was pretty much a a guy's game. Mm -hmm. And at that time, there weren't a whole lot of what you would call, uh, you know, bottom-up, servant leadership type of even mindsets in the workforce. It was still very top-down, still very autocratic. But then when you put a chick in the game, right, then it becomes a whole different ballpark because I was young. I was extremely ambitious, very competitive, and quite, you know, uh, uh, very candidly, I came off um, abrasively and was viewed as a as a bitch. Pardon, pardon the expression, but that um, that is how I showed up. And then when you're not equipped, when you're ill-equipped with the right language and the right coaching and resources, and knowing how to, you know, how do I motivate a team? How do I give feedback? How do I? And I had the customer piece down, but I hadn't transferred that skill set into the managing and navigating my team. And, um, and that is a huge, uh, you know, a blind spot for a lot of people who are promoted um, into leadership positions but lack the people competencies that they need to help them um, help be wildly successful as a leader. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that's actually a really good segue into the 12 leadership lessons because your first one, we've kind of touched on it a little bit already, but your first one is very simple. Uh, don't be an ass. Yes. Yes. And there are more people out there that are unbeknown, uh, unbeknownst to them, they're asses, and they're perceived that way by their people, and they're oblivious to that fact. And and that's pretty. That's a big number. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so uh, that's why lesson two is critically important. And stop, drop, take a selfie. I mean, you really need to understand your leadership mirror and how you show up for your people. And if you lack self-awareness, then you sure as heck aren't going to be successful at managing yourself and and or improving um, how you show up and support your teams. Yeah, definitely. No, absolutely. And and I like the the part there about the the people, uh, you know, because uh, and, and this is a category I find myself in. Uh, you know, I, I was looking through this book and looking at the terminology and like, how would I define myself? And, you know, uh, I have to own it. I'm probably uh, a situational ass, right? Uh, <laughs> you know, some people love my extrovertedness. Some people love the, the my sarcastic humor. And some people probably think I'm one of the biggest jerks on the face of the planet. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I have to be aware of, you know, kind of as you point out, who is who and how to interact with those people, right? Yes. And, you know, in different, like you said, I think the situational um, component is critically important for us to um, know how to navigate through because I'm not taught, I'm not here to preach a touchy feely, you know, kumbaya type of leadership. It's called badass leader for a reason. And badass means that you, you have a, good grounding and understanding of yourself and that you have an equal understanding of your teams 
and then you know exactly what to do in the in-between in order to maximize outcomes for them and your organization um, and your customers and so forth. But what's really important is that within that space, there is a time when you might have to be um, very, um, you know, dominant and even aggressive. Like, let's just take an emergency or crisis situation. At that point, it's, you know, it's not like you're going to go to and call a meeting and, and reach consensus on how to approach something. It's a crisis. You need to, you know, save the patient, stop the bleeding, do what you need to do, put the fire out, right? And so that's going to require a certain level of comp- confidence and competence in that area and also leadership ability to be able to direct and to handle that emergency and navigate your teams with confidence so that they have confidence to deliver on whatever um, level of execution that they need to do to solve that immediate crisis. And so it does require us to be situationally savvy um, and know exactly how to ebb and flow based on the needs of the business and based on the needs of the teams that are um, delivering, be it the processes or, or the performance that is needed. Um, we have to, uh, you know, flex to the demands of the marketplace and to the teams within um, our our care, right? Our, our, you know, the people that we champion. Right. Yeah, and, and absolutely. And again, that's one of the things I love about this is this, you know, I don't want to say simplistic is, is a negative way because I know uh, a lot of people think simple uh, means easy to skip over. None of the stuff in Michelle's book is is lessons that you should skip over and as, as she and I were talking in the, in the workup you know these are what I loved about these these leadership lessons they're very close to the same shields that we teach as shields of the leadership phalanx and we did it for many of the same reasons as what you just mentioned there you know there's a lot of uh I call them uh like I call us leadership 101 and you know there's a whole row in the library full of all of these you know higher thinking uh, esoteric type leadership concepts this is stuff that's got proven uh very much proven ground truth this stuff works if you want to talk about theories there's a lot of folks out there who help you talk about the the theories but this stuff is like real nitty gritty leadership that has been proven to work right yeah. And I, I like to, and thank you for saying that. Uh, I like to view the 12 leadership lessons as it's, you know, it's leadership boot camp. So, you know, we, you know, we go in and we figure out what's the basic training we need, um, when it comes to people competencies, you know, and, and of course we, you know, first thing, don't be an ass. Second, stop, drop a self, stop, drop, take a selfie. And then what are the other 12 lessons or of the 12 lessons do we need to implement and execute successfully in our boot camp, right? Of whether it be an up and coming leader or someone who has been already in a leadership position that has maybe received some feedback that they need to improve and hone in on their people skills. And so they need to, you know, do a diagnosis and understand what it is that's not working in order to put a plan into place. This can help them do that. Um, there's a lot more to the 12 lessons. There's um, tons of tools and resources and a full uh, academy that we have that we um, that we support both online and in person. So this is, you know, these are the basic training that we need as leaders and frequently need to be reminded of. And the other thing I'll say about the 12 leadership lessons is they stack. 
Mm-hmm. So there's an order, right? You know, you can't, you can't jump ahead to, um, a future lesson. Let's, you know, one that's common. And the thing that caused my team to blow up and leave was I went right into a takeover situation where I was promoted to my level of incompetence. I ended up inheriting this rather large team. And then I went right in and started changing everything and changing the goals and creating struggle for them and challenge and wanting to go in there to, you know, you know, plant my flag and show that, you know, just how amazing I was as a leader and, you know, going to, you know, just (laughs) show them how great, how lucky they were to have me as their boss. Right. Mm -hmm. So I went into lesson seven, which is create the struggle. Well, I hadn't handled lesson one through six. And so I showed up as an ass, right? And then they walked out and it was a big mess. And so if when we put these lessons in proper order, then you get to the level seven lesson where you can create the struggle. You know, you've got that foundation of trust. You understand yourself as a leader. You know your people. You know how to coach. You've built your badass team. Now you can stretch them and take them to the next level and rise them to their greatest potential. And so there's a methodology to it there's a uh, it's simplicity but it is it there is a lesson uh, there is an order to the lessons that are critically important that really help you maximize the outcomes for people and performance yeah no and and uh, i love the way you put this together and uh you know listeners uh you know for the record we may kind of skim on some of the all 12 uh but i'm not going to give you everything for free you need to go out and uh you need to get yourself a copy of from bad to badass leader uh by michelle rhinus uh because there's a lot of great value in this book um and 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 i love that create the struggle um because you know again uh my my intro to leadership if you was kind of that boot camp style in the Marines. And, and that was the whole foundation of their team building was, you know, shared struggle. And it taught me, you know, well, well, people enjoy, people enjoy the calm times. And when it's easy, you really galvanize a team in those periods of struggle, right? Yes. Definitely. Yeah, because you have the adrenaline pumping, you have some tension for performance. Um, people are able to discover untapped potential or unrealized potential. And our jobs as leaders is to do that, you know, is to really understand your teams and see, see them in their greatest possibility and then figure out what's the path to help, help them get there. And when we do that, not only does it make our jobs easier, we're building um, not only their competencies, but we're building their their professional self-esteem, their personal self-esteem. We're affecting the way they engage with our clients and customers and in our communities, um, how they engage with their families, you know, the quality of their life. And when I think back to that initial question of, you know, my definition of what does burden of command mean to me, um, that's a tremendous responsibility. And I take it personally. And I think as, as leaders, you know, and as badass leaders, when we can own, um, our people as far as, you know, I'm, I look at it as it's my responsibility to do what I can to understand them, know how to coach them, know how to develop them, stretch them into their um, greatest potential and inspire them. Boy, that's an absolute accelerator to outcomes in performance and in, in results and in engagement. I mean, all the metrics, I mean, those are, those are outcomes that you can enjoy when we lead well. 
Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and the thing is, too, that you kind of mentioned there uh, with the, the self-esteem, it's like, you know, teams remember the thing that they struggled through the most. Like, nobody talks about the easy victory. Nobody really talks about the time where, hey, we this thing was just a slam dunk. It's those times when, you know, whatever it is, depending on what whether we're talking about sports, whether we're talking about the business world, you know, those times where it looked like right up until the, 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 the 11th hour, 59th minute and 59th second, we were going to fail, but we ended up pulling it out. We remember those things like th- those mean something to us, right? Absolutely. And aren't they the greatest movies and the greatest stories and the greatest books that we ever read are about that, you know, about those victories, right? That struggle. And again, the book is called From Bad to Badass, and it is chock full of mistakes, boot and mouth moments, challenges, bumps and bruises. All of these are just lessons learned based on my leadership journey and then dissecting that or call it post-morteming it and going, okay, what worked, what didn't work and how would I share that and, um, and pay that forward? You know, how do I make amends, if you will, from that first team that I failed? And how do I serve other teams for the long haul? And so I was really thoughtful about, you know, what was it exactly? What's been my recipe for success? And how can I convey that in a way that can help other, whether it be up and coming leaders that are aspiring to move into the, to a leadership position or those that are currently in a leadership position that want to move to the next level or entrepreneurs, you know, this same recipe for these 12 leadership lessons, they work for entrepreneurial startups. Um, I've done, um, my, my 10th startup and me, um, and then it also works personally. If you think about these 12 leadership lessons in a relationship or even as a parent, these all, they all apply. Uh, they, they apply the same. It doesn't matter what role you're in. The lessons apply. Yep. And, and the folks who have been with me from episode one know exactly what's getting ready to come next because I say it a lot because it comes up a lot. Uh, you know, they, they've heard me say it over and over. Leadership is just another relationship. Yes. Everything that works in a personal <laughs> relationship works in a professional relationship. So I love that you reinforce that for me. I appreciate that. Oh, my pleasure. No, it's so true. I mean, that's what it's all about. And actually, that's where the joy is. You know, it's one thing to have a victory, but it's another thing to have the relationships and someone to share it with as you go through while you're, while you're, you know, tackling that struggle and, um, and, you know, navigating through the suck, uh, you know, to do it with somebody and being a groupie for one another. I mean, there's nothing sweeter than that. Yeah. Well, again, great segue there. Uh, because lesson eight is suck it up, buttercup. Now, again, it's yes. green. I love that <laughs> saying. I say it all the time. But, but yeah, what, what does that mean as, as a, a, a badass lesson? Yeah. So as a badass leader, when it comes to sucking it up, buttercup, it's so important. That as a leader, if we're not sucking it up, how can we ever navigate our teams through the struggle? And so how we show up, how we engage, where we go to for support is critically important. Um, some of the, the mistakes that I made in my past were, you know, I had really great rapport with my teams later on. And um, after I blew up the first team and learned how to lead, right? So I have really great rapport. So when we're really comfortable with our teams and we've developed these amazing relationships with them, when we're in the suck or in the struggle, it's really easy as a leader to, to verbally vomit downward. 
into your team and to kind of vent and share. Or I used to say something really horrible, which was like, if I ever had, say, some marching orders that were given down to me and I had to pass them on to my team and I wasn't really bought into it, you know, I would go in and say things like, well, don't shoot the messenger. You know, we got to like pull it together, team, and we can do it and do this little rally cry. That's BS. We can't do that as leaders. We have to go in and and handle ourselves and suck it up and then figure out how now do I present this to my team in a way that I can rally that team positively toward the goal or or get their way in around whatever challenge it is that we need to conquer or goal we get to crush. You know, I how I show up for them is going to determine their level of vesting in that goal or that objective. And so with, that does dismiss the fact that as as leaders, we sometimes need support. Right. And we may really be struggling in the, in the, in the suck. Right. So then we have to know where to go for that support. Mentors, peers, man, send that upward up your, up your chain of command and, and ask for help. Um, you know, find someone outside of your organization that's a, the close friend that you can lean on, but don't trickle it down to your teams because it demoralizes it. You lose credibility as a leader and they lose faith. And then that will never navigate you or them through the struggle. Mm. No, that that is that is so true, so true. You know, uh, something just popped in my head. I probably should have asked you a while ago when we were sharing that part of the story. But uh, out of those folks who walked out, did you ever get a chance to work with any of those folks again and and make amends in any type of way? Oh, you know, I wish I could have. I didn't, and I have tried to to seek out. I would call it the ringleader, the the one that kind of rallied the teams to, to walk out, um, so that I could, you know, let them know um, first how um, abundantly clear it is to me that I was a problem, and secondly, express my gratitude for them holding up my mirror as ugly as it as it as I looked into the mirror, um, as it was at the casualties that I had created. That that was those were my results. You know, the, at the end of the day, you know. Uh, your people, your results. And so I would have loved to have been, had the opportunity to do that and to apologize. And I know I affected, you know, when we screw up as leaders, when we do something like what I did, I don't just affect the members on my team. They take it home. They mm-hmm. take it behind the wheel, right? They take it and how they interact with their children and in their communities and with the restaurant w- waiter and how they engage in traffic. And I mean, we impact far beyond our workforces when we don't know how to lead and we don't know how to engage. We create much bigger emotional wakes than I think a lot of people realize. And I definitely wholeheartedly take full ownership of the damage that I created. Yeah, no, I mean, and that is the truth. That is the truth. I mean, to as you mentioned, you know, there's so many metrics, right? I mean, that's the mm-hmm. one thing like I, I get I get in business that you have to track certain things and you have to have these metrics that, uh, you know, but it, it's, it's, there's a gentleman I talk about a lot on here. Uh, well, when, when appropriate, uh, Lieutenant Colonel David Grossman, and uh, he wrote a book uh, called On Killing. And basically he, he's a psychologist uh, and uh, he Wanted to find out the answer to the question, what can c- cause one human being to be able to kill another human being? Mm-hmm. And all of his research boiled down to really one simple answer is the only way that that can happen is for you to not see that other human being as a human being. 
Uh, the reason I like to share that story in the leadership realm is because, you know, it's, it's kind of the same thing, right? Is is how can you treat your people so poorly? Obviously, mm-hmm. hopefully we don't get to the point of killing them, although. Uh, but it's it's the same thing. You stop seeing them as people with families that have issues. You see them as a number on a spreadsheet or some type of performance metric. And that's it. You don't see mm-hmm. the person anymore, right? Yeah. And we do kill them in some way, right? Yeah. We kill them emotionally. We kill their self-esteem, um, their hope. We create all kinds of stress. And the bad thing is, is what happens often in my leadership coaching that I do is you have, let's say you have an, a, a, what I call a mid-level player, right? Not your A player, not your F player, but they're kind of your mid-level player. And when we don't lead them effectively, then, you know, they just kind of be that, you know, C player. They're not, they're uninspired. They never realize their true potential. They just kind of go on collecting the paycheck and that costs our organization a lot of money. And then they start because their esteem is low, then they, they hide. They don't think that they can get another job. So they stay stuck in the job. And if you're not, if you're not paying attention to your teams and you're not truly a badass leader, you know, that costs you and your organization significant, significantly. Um, and, and then back to the point that we were just talking about with performance metrics. Um, you know, I'm not excusing the, uh, I'm not, um, advocating for not focusing on performance and results. Mm -hmm. I'm advocating for focusing on people to accelerate performance and results because they're the maximizer. If you focus on results, you're going to get only so far. When you focus on the people, you'll get way further. Absolutely. And, and, you know, again, what I love about what you just said is – you know, in, in episode 61 of the podcast, uh, I spoke with a, a lady named Lois Letchford, and that was her her message. She t- shares a story of her son uh, having a learning disability, and uh, the teacher was very, um, I want to say mean, but not nurturing to her kid. Mm-hmm. And to the point where during one of the uh, parent-teacher conferences, uh, the teacher told Lois, hey, your son is out of 20 years of teaching, your son is the worst student I've ever had. There's no hope for him. Mm. Well, that lit a fire under Lois. And uh, long story short, she figured out that the problem wasn't that her son was a terrible student. The teacher didn't know how to teach her son. Mm-hmm. And so Lois had to figure out how and develop the, the, the tools to teach her son and spur the, the education and now he's got like a PhD uh, from Oxford. I believe it's Oxford. Um, but, you know, long story short, what you're just saying, right, is, is figuring those ways to reach our people and how to spur uh, that performance. Because, you know, that dud could be a superstar if you take the time to figure out how to unlock that, right? Yes. And, you know, and how empowering is that for us as leaders if we always look in the mirror first and say, gosh, how did I create that in Joe? You know, what can I do differently? How do I, what does Joe need from me? You know, do I need to know more about Joe? Do I need to figure out how, how Joe likes to be coached? How does he like to be recognized? How about redirected? How about trained, developed, and given feedback? What does he need in order for me to help him discover his unrealized potential? And this is not rocket science. This is not hard. Don't let this scare you, um, listeners. This is actually quite easy. And, um, the, the book will definitely help you, um, 
you know, get started. But this stuff is actually quite easy. When you put the 12 leadership lessons into play, learning to become an epic coach is not a, um, it's a recipe for success and, and an easy, um, multiplier to outcomes. And, and at the end of the day, isn't it easier to coach a winning team than it is one that's losing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a lot more fun. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. It, it really is. Um, you know, and, and, and it's, like you said, this stuff, that's why I feel a little dirty doing what I do for a living. Uh, because like you said, it's, it's not that it's not difficult. It's hard for us to see it in ourselves. That's where we make our money as coaches mm-hmm. is helping people see it in themselves. But at the end of the day, every human being knows this stuff. They know what they want out of a successful leader. And that's what other people want out of a successful leader. So be what you want. <laughs> yes. Be the leader you'd love to work for. Yeah. 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 And that's the, the key. And the, the other thing is, is that there's no, it's not a one size fits all. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, so that's the key is we have to be like Gumby and be nimble and be flexible and figure out what that recipe for success looks like for the team that's in front of us today. Because the team tomorrow may be a different team. And when you're really great at this badass leader stuff, then you get promoted a lot. You do, you know, I've had the pleasure of, you know, doing a lot of takeovers and turnarounds. And so you have to be nimble and, and agile. And this is a leadership, uh, you know, you, you just, it's, I don't know, I look at it like a cape that you wear and you can go in and out of any team in any organization. And it doesn't matter how long of a relationship you've had with them when you have the basic, call it recipe for success or leadership uh, roadmap, um, you, the mechanics work. You, you just get to get in there and figure out, okay, now who do I get to be for them? And, you know, understand your team, understand yourself and understand how to tie the two together in order to help them win. It's not your win, it's their win. And your win is when they win. Yeah. No, I love it. I love it. And, and I got to ask, I mean, because you, you, you said something there a second ago about Gumby. Are you sure you've never been into Marines? <laughs> yes, I'm sure. <laughs> you know, because everybody knows that the Semper Fidelis always faithful, but kind of one of our joking mottos is, is Semper Gumby, always faithful. Oh, really? Yeah. I had no idea. That's the first time I've heard that. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So when you said that, I was like, wait a minute. I think you're pulling the wool on, over on me here. No, um, only in my dreams or in my sleep. You know, I might fantasize about, okay, I can do this. <laughs> but no. <laughs> yeah. Well, but I mean, again, it just goes to show you, like, when – when things are, as we've talked about, when things are kind of the these basic, simple uh, principles, you know, and all a principle is is something that has been proven to work, and that's what we're talking about here. Yeah. They're they're universal truths, and so, you know, the fact that you get to the flexible Gumby piece is not that big of a shock. It's it it's a truth. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so uh, one that I want to really touch on here is number twelve. Love somebody like you. Yes. So that one, especially in the context of one through 11, right? It makes it like, huh, that's a head scratcher. Where did that one come from? Um, So this one was a a gift and it was a hand-me-down from my um, ex-husband who was terminal with cancer. Mm -hmm. And this was a lesson that he um, passed on to me in the final days that I had the opportunity to spend with him. And 
The lesson really serves as a reminder that at the end of the day, in order to truly be a badass leader, a badass parent, a badass spouse, right? Just a badass individual, we have to love ourselves and take care of ourselves. And we need to prioritize, um, you know, uh, t- not only taking care of our health and fitness, taking care of our mind, um, spending time with um, friends and family and things that are meaningful to us. And, you know, so it's like prioritizing the things that really matter in life, because when we do that, then we we really maximize what we can do in lessons one through 11, because the better we are at self-care, it's just a again, I, I love the word multiplier. It's an absolute multiplier or an accelerator to outcomes on all of the other 11. And so I um, I really appreciated that gift because it's one that I still work on. Uh, I am an admitted um, entrepreneurialholic, so I'm very passionate about badass leadership, very passionate about teams and leaders, and and so I love to work. And um, but what I've learned since his passing is that um, how to play and how important family and friends and making sure that I, I wouldn't call it balance, I, I because I. I don't consider my life in balance, nor does my personality type really like balance. I really like variety, challenge, and change. But I definitely am doing a very good job these days of working hard and playing hard and making sure that I prioritize friends and family as well and not just live to accomplish life. And and that's something that, you know, a lot of folks, you know, struggle with. You know, first of all, I'm sorry that you had to learn a lesson in that manner. Uh, but, you know, the... Uh, the, what got me uh, thinking down that is is several years ago, mentioned from Tennessee, country fan, uh, Tim McGraw uh, came out with a song, uh, Live Like You Were Dying. Yes. And, and he goes through a lot of that same stuff there. And it's it's the same thing. And it's, you know, I've always had this kind of, uh, you know, there, there's no problems, only solutions kind of attitude. Uh, but it really gets you to thinking, you know, it's like, why waste the time on all of these other things, right? When there's more, you know, like for you, serial entrepreneurship, right? Yes, well, yes, absolutely. You need time for that, right? You absolutely do. And and you need time for all the other stuff, for the yep. laughter and the ridiculousness. And for me, the rock and roll and the country rock and riding motorcycles and, and camping out under the stars and, and um, in the firelight. I mean, all of those, those qualitative aspects that make the, the riches and the rewards for me, you know, that, that's what really matters. And, and that was a gift that I learned from, from Al. It was that to treasure that because in, in, in the face of death, um, you would trade every material thing that you have to have life. Mm-hmm. And to have more time with those that you love and to have more adventures. And, and that's where the true, um, you know, for him, that was the, the hardest thing. That's what he mourned was the loss of that. And that really gave me, um, perspective on how I needed to reprioritize effective immediately. And it's interesting that you would choose that song, um, Live Like You Were Dying by Tim McGraw, because the night before he passed, I played that song. Mm. And um, and I didn't know that that was that next morning that was going to be his final day. But that um, that song just um, that was um, that was the song. And so that's pretty that's pretty amazing. Yeah, no, it it, it makes you think it really does. You know, Michelle, again, look, I, I've loved this conversation. I love the book. Uh, folks, 
go grab a copy from Bad to Badass Leader. Uh, you know, I'm a big fan of design. Uh, I've talked about a f- few books on here, the way that they've la- they're laid out, the way the covers are designed. First of all, like this is one of the first books that I've had sent to me, uh, maybe the second, uh, that as soon as I got it, I'm like, I want to read this book. Um, so whoever did the, the design, Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, my inspiration was I wanted it to be, you know, we enjoy one of the passions I've discovered since my since my lesson 12, Love Somebody Like You, I should say rediscovered, is a passion for enjoying riding motorcycles. And, and we do that as a family. And so I really, the inspiration behind the cover was I wanted it to be like my favorite biker t-shirt that was just, you know, you can't throw it away, but it's so soft and you wear it all the time and, and you should wear something else, but it's just so comfortable. I said, I really wanted the feel of the book to be approachable and inviting and something that any everyday leader could pick up and go, this feels like me. And this is, this feels comfortable. And this is something that gets me excited about learning how to lead and inspires me in a way that I've never been inspired um, when it comes to um, an interest in figuring out, you know, how can I become a badass leader in a brand that I can wear and be proud of? And that feels like, you know, what you call the Harley Davidson of leadership development. It, it definitely fits that bill. Like, like uh, you get the strong motorcycle vibe from it. So I love it. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and again, I just, I love the way it's laid out. Like I love the, your liberal use of hashtags throughout the book. Yes. <laughs> uh, you know, that's a thing in there. So again, listeners, if you want to know what we're talking about here with the, the hashtags, you're just going to have to buy the book. <laughs> um, well, you know, Michelle, we've been talking now for, yeah, a little over 45 minutes and time has just absolutely uh flown this was a great conversation um is there anything we didn't get a chance to touch on that you would like to leave the the listeners with you know the main thing that i would say is um i'm an everyday leader at the end of the day who just happened to write a book and so these lessons are very palatable and the brand, you know, the brand, nothing would make me happier than for um, people to feel like, hey, that's my brand. You know, that's something that feels like me and, and a brand that I can be comfortable with. And we, um, you know, this is, again, it's people science and it's not, um, it, it's a book of stories and it's fun and it's playful and it's filled with illustrations and the website is playful and has tons of resources. So let, you know, my invitation is for them to start their, you know, badass leader journey with us and um, in hopes that they can inspire their teams and and continue to grow and, and develop other leaders. Mm-hmm. And then the last thought I want to make sure that I don't forget is I created a special gift page for all of your listeners. Um, and it's, and I know that you'll have it in your show notes, but I'd love to share it here, which is badass leader dot com forward slash boc for burden of command Mm -hmm. and on that there'll be some gifts and downloads and some really cool screensavers of all the different 12 leadership lessons they can pick their favorite one maybe the one they want to focus on first and um and then mantras and 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 some other goodies that are on there and we also have for for those that um that are intrigued once they get onto our regular website which is badassleader.com we have cool swag that's out there and and lots of other fun and fun resources but um, I really can't thank you enough, Earl, for allowing me the opportunity to introduce this unconventional um, and what some people deem to be a politically incorrect brand. But it's not politically incorrect. I think it's absolutely perfect for the times. 
Yeah, no, it, it definitely is. It definitely is. And thank you for not caving to that because, um, you know, I mean, again, I love it. I mean, I love the straightforwardness and it's something that I really wish, uh, you know, a lot of folks talk about authenticity and being your true self. And then when somebody like you shows up who is being their authentic true self, like, ah, well, you should tone it down a little bit. And you're like, no, <laughs> I'm good. I'm going to be me, right? Yeah. You know, and, I, and I'll and i tell a little story about that. It was really interesting during the, when I decided I was going to write this book, I started out with um, 12 extraordinary leadership lessons, you know, because I was trying to play the politically correct, you know, white collar route. And I had complete writer's block and went away to a writer's retreat and just came home so stressed out and so frustrated and literally thought, I'll never write a book. This is just, I'm just not a writer. This is just impossible. And then a few days later, I got on the phone with one of my girlfriends and I said, you know what really frustrates me? You know the book I really want to write? I want to write from bad to badass leader. I said, that's, you know, that's what gets my juices flowing and gets me so excited because that's the story I want to tell. That's my story of how I went from being bad to um, striving and continuing to strive to be a badass leader. And she goes, you know, that's the book I would buy. Mm -hmm. And I said, that's it. And so then from then on, it was kind of like I just, the, the drain was unclogged and boy, the book came out. It was so much fun writing the book, as you can probably tell by the play on words and yeah. it's a playful read. And, um, it just was so easy then. So, so there is absolutely something to be conveyed. An important message is that be you, do you. And, um, and be authentic because people want authenticity. And look, life isn't perfect. Leadership isn't perfect. It's messy. And my leadership story is messy, but there's a lot of trinkets and, and goals and, uh, or not goals, but there's a lot that's been accomplished through these bumps and bruises. And so it's something that can hopefully prevent you from having your own, uh, what I call in the book bull ride. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I love it. I, I, I love it a hundred percent. You know, I mean, for some people, John Maxwell works amazing. Yes. For some people, Simon Sinek works amazing. Amazing. For, I'm hoping, a good portion of people, Michelle Rhinus works amazing. Uh, and, and so, you know, it's it's filling a very uh, needed niche there. So, again, yeah, thanks. And, and, and that's exactly right. I mean, you can't write you can't write what you don't love. Yeah. And, and you you definitely, the, the love comes through in the book in, in all of the great ways. So, yeah. Well, thank you. I no. appreciate it. I'm excited to share it, and I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. No, uh, and and listeners, again, I'll have all of those links that Michelle mentioned. Um, I'm assuming uh, on the page there, there's a contact us, uh, so if they need to get a hold of you, they can find that there as well? Oh, yes, you bet. Absolutely. Yeah, badassleader.com is the best way to reach me. And then, of course, I'm on all the different social media from LinkedIn to Twitter to Facebook to Instagram and all that good stuff. And, uh, but badassleader.com would be the easiest and fastest way. Absolutely. Good deal. And I'll, again, uh, I'll have all of that stuff in the show notes there so you can get to Michelle nice and easy. Thank you very much for the gift page. Uh, listeners, go take advantage of that. I'm sure there's uh, going to be a lot of stuff there that you can be able to take away from it. And, uh, you know, thank you listeners for being with us for this past, uh, you know, 50, 55 minutes or so, uh, really appreciate y'all being supportive of me and my guests. Uh, it really means a lot. I uh, love how you all have been showing out in, uh, in the review section on the various platforms. Uh, keep that up. Make sure you're sharing the show, uh, you know, 
As I've said on here many a times, the way the algorithms work, the more work you do, the better you help me help guests like Michelle uh, spread their message. And these are great messages that need to be spread. Uh, as you know, if you need to get a hold of me, the best way is burden.command at gmail.com. I want to hear any feedback, any questions. If you have guest ideas, hit me up there. Uh, with that, again, thank you for being an amazing uh, audience. And I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for season two of the Wanna Bet podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that season two starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. No more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric Acid. Hey guys, it's Miriam Love here, and I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release, All In, the Spanish remixes, out now on Electric Acid Records. And always remember, be love, share love, all love. Available now wherever you listen to music.